Well, today is World Mission Sunday. It is not Super Bowl Sunday yet. It is World Mission Sunday. Um, This day offers us an annual opportunity to consider what each of us can do to advance the kingdom of Christ around the world. And the harvest, as Jesus says, is plentiful. At the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, and then beginning with chapter 8, as soon as he comes down from the mountain, he heals a man of leprosy. And this is the first miracle of healing in a series of 12 miracles of healing throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Bible, anytime we see the number 12, we should be reminded of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. The implication here is that Jesus is establishing a renewed Israel. Now, this is not, strictly speaking, a new Israel, at least not in the sense that the old Israel is is completely replaced and discarded. This is a renewed Israel. This is Israel born again. So, Jesus performs 12 healing miracles, and immediately following our passage today, Jesus anoints 12 disciples to serve as shepherds for this renewed Israel. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, and he says that he's in need of laborers, and so he appoints 12 new patriarchs for the 12 new tribes. Again, through Jesus, Israel is born again. But but that's not all. We should note that this born-again Israel that Jesus is establishing is not the Israel that the scribes and Pharisees envision, that the religious elite envision. The born-again Israel that Jesus is establishing is anything but purebred. It extends well beyond the bounds of traditional Israel. Of the 12 healings, Jesus heals a number of Israelites, but He also heals a number of Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. He heals the servant of a a Roman centurion. He heals two demoniacs living in foreign territory. They're surrounded by pigs, unclean animals, right? He heals the daughter of a Canaanite woman. These are Gentiles. And so, Jesus' renewed Israel is an international Israel. It's a cosmopolitan Israel. The city of God is a global city. It's a diverse city. The kingdom of God is a multinational kingdom. There is neither Jew nor Greek. This is fundamental to the scandal of Jesus' message and ministry. In the words of Isaiah 49, which we just read, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's not enough for Jesus to be the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of all nations. And so, Matthew shows, he depicts the, the ministry of Jesus gaining steam here. His miracles are spectacular, and His message is compelling. In chapter 4, great crowds are following Jesus. In chapter 7, the crowds are amazed at His teaching. 
In chapter 8, again, great crowds are following him. Everywhere he goes, a crowd is following him. So let's read, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So it is no wonder why the crowds were following him. But when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is traveling around the region, teaching and preaching and healing. That is, he is traveling around the region, establishing the kingdom of God. And when Jesus looks out upon the crowds, he has compassion on them because they are, quote, like sheep without a shepherd. We see that same phrase in Numbers 27. So the scene here is that Moses is nearing the end of his ministry. He's about to die. And so Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Moses is nearing the end, and his concern is for the people in his absence. He knows that they will need a wise and competent and godly leader, a high priest or a king or a prophet, something like that. And so when Matthew says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd, he means that Jesus recognized that the people were in need of a wise and competent and godly leader. And initially, initially, Jesus bears the full weight of that ministry alone. He sees the crowds, and he alone begins to teach them from the mountain. He sees the crowds, and he alone has compassion on them. He sees the crowds, and he alone heals their diseases and afflictions. He's doing this alone. But by the end of chapter 9, it's, it's as though Jesus comes to the realization that he really needs to delegate some of this work. Again, the story of Moses helps us to see what's going on here. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses, Moses is surrounded by crowds of needy people from morning until evening, it says. He alone is ministering to the people. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, advises Moses to delegate the work. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for you are not able to do it alone. So look for able men, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. I think Jesus is doing something similar here. And remember, Immediately following our, our passage today, Jesus gives authority to 12 disciples and commissions them as his delegates. But Jesus doesn't just delegate to his 12 disciples. He delegates his ministry to us as well. 
verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Through the centuries, the millennia, this call for laborers has been passed down from generation to generation. And millions upon millions of Christian disciples have responded faithfully to that call. And they and their faithfulness are the reason we're here. God has overseen the whole project, of course. He is the Lord of the harvest. It's His field. It's His world. But the Lord, the Lord of the harvest loves to employ His people. He could do it all Himself. He could speak a word from heaven and evangelize the world, right? The resurrected Christ could have remained on the earth. And every person in every nation would have to reckon with his resurrection glory and authority. But that's not the way God works in the world. From Genesis to Revelation, God ordinarily works in the world through us, through humanity. He accomplishes his purposes by revealing himself to a person or a group of people and then calling that person or that group of people to take that revelation to others. This was true of the old Israel, and this is true of the renewed Israel, the born-again Israel, the church. God works in the world through us. He loves to employ his people. According to Matthew 9, the Lord of the harvest is hiring, and there are plenty of entry-level positions. That's a bit cheesy. I, I get it, but hear me out. The harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Notice, Jesus does not tell his disciples to pray for more leaders or more visionaries, more people who are highly trained and highly talented. He's not just looking for another Peter or Paul or St. Jerome or St. Patrick or Martin Luther or George Whitfield or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. He's not just looking for those types of people. He's looking for these types of people. So don't, don't let yourself off the hook this morning. Maybe, maybe you're not a leader. Maybe you're not a visionary. Maybe your gifting is more ordinary. Good. The church would be a miserable place if we were all visionaries. According to 1 Corinthians 12, God gives greater honor to the person who quietly serves behind the scenes than to the preacher in the pulpit. But my life is busy. My work is crazy. I don't have a house, or my house is too small. My kids are too young. My parents are too old. Don't let yourself off the hook. What you contribute to the kingdom 
doesn't need to be something spectacular in the eyes of others or spectacular in the eyes of the world. It just needs to be in keeping with the way that God has burdened you and gifted you and equipped you. Where is the harvest plentiful around you? Where are there sheep without a shepherd? Where are the harassed and helpless people? Among your coworkers, among your neighbors, among your family members, among the poor? Should you go overseas? Should you foster or adopt? Should you run for office? Should you spend more time in prayer? Who needs to be loved by you? Who needs a friend? Who needs a meal train? Who needs to hear the gospel? The harvest is plentiful, and we are the laborers. That is how God works in the world. From Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus does a lot of talking. Does a lot of talking. He teaches the people what life in the kingdom of God looks like. But following the Sermon on the Mount, in chapters 8 and 9 and following, his, his talking gives way to action. Jesus no longer teaches the people. He, he teaches them, but he teaches them by showing them what life in the kingdom of God should look like. The kingdom of God requires that we move from talking to doing, from talk to action. Whoever you are, wherever the Lord has placed you, whatever he has equipped you to do, do that do that thing for His glory, empowered by His Spirit and with all diligence and all joy. The Lord of the harvest has chosen you. He has given some of us five talents, some of us two talents, some of us one talent, and He wants us to multiply whatever it is that we've been given. But whatever you do, do not bury that talent in the ground. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. He is not the Spirit of mere talk. He is the Spirit of faithful action and transformation and fruitfulness. He wants to do it through you. And that is a privilege, not a burden. Don't let yourself off the hook this morning. To quote a hymn, come, labor on, away with gloomy doubts and faithless fear, no arm so weak as may do service here. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord of the harvest, we come to you for grace, for mercy, for forgiveness. We come to you for rest. But we also come ready to work, ready to labor for the kingdom. Jesus, thank you for having compassion on us. Fill us with compassion for others. And Holy Spirit, equip us and mobilize us for every good work, all the good works that you have laid out for us to do. 
and equip us and mobilize us ultimately for the evangelization of the world, that Christ might be the King of kings. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.